London, 1915. The First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill, sits alone at his desk. Before him lays his resignation letter. You see, Churchill was a man of ambition, and few offices in Britain were higher than being the First Lord of the Admiralty. This political appointment led the most powerful navy the world had ever seen. Britain's control over the seas was unquestioned, and yet Churchill was forced to resign. Backing up 12 months to 1914, Europe is on fire as the First World War quickly spiraled outside of the Balkans. The Germans had advanced deep into France, coming within spitting distance of Paris before being pushed back. Both sides dug in and naturally began looking for a way to outflank the other. In what became known as the Race to the Sea, both armies tried to exploit a weak spot, eventually stopping at the English Channel. By the fall, it was clear no weak spots could be found, nothing but trenches and steel. It was at this point when Winston Churchill saw his opportunity, where the Navy could swoop in and exploit the weakest point of all, the Ottoman Empire. Now, the Ottomans had recently joined the war and were viewed by everybody as weak. They were commonly referred to as the sick man of Europe, and their military was third rate. If you could topple the Ottoman Empire, you could roll right into Austria, right into Germany, ending the war. Okay, so here's the plan. Have the navy force the Dardanelles Strait right up to the Ottoman capital of Istanbul. You could even use older ships since the Ottoman navy were in disarray and just not all that effective. And by the way, since these are older ships, they're going to be scrapped after the war regardless. So these are ships that could afford to be lost. Now, what ended up happening was a calamity of errors and tragic bad luck. The ships began hitting mines and were fired upon by surprisingly effective forts that were on both sides of this very narrow strait. Troops then had to be landed to try and knock out these forts to give way for the ships to continue and move up to Istanbul. But they became sitting ducks as the Ottomans always had the higher ground and just fired down. Over the course of this 10-month battle, 56,000 British, French, Australian, and New Zealand troops were killed. It was a massive disaster. The battle will be known to history as Gallipoli and was one of the biggest mistakes that either side made in the First World War. The thing is, mistakes don't just happen in wartime. And this week we hear from a landlord who made a horrible investment on his very first rental property. Justin Brown Woods wanted to be an ethical landlord, so he decided to buy a rental property in a tenant-friendly state, Michigan. One problem is that the property did not have a certification of occupancy. And what unfolded was a marathon in attempt to please one inspector after another and uncovering all the mistakes a previous owner had made. A story we call the 13-month vacancy. There's no risk. And she moved a homeless guy in, and then she bit him, and... There's no risk. You don't really expect somebody to go burn down their own place. You guys want mailbox money? Enough water accumulates on second floor, boom, collapses into the first floor. Being a landlord is so, so, so easy. Just get into real estate, baby. This episode is brought to you by Steadily Insurance, a company that has your back when mistakes are made. Like when you call up your Steadily agent to let them know that you had a rowdy guest at one of your Airbnbs, you're speaking to someone who gets it. That's because Steadily agents only work with landlords and many of them run their own portfolios. 
So they understand the difference between a VRBO, STR, and Airbnb. See if it makes sense to switch your insurance over to Studly. Use our link, resilientrei.studlypartner.com, enter an address, and compare quotes in 20 seconds. It's really easy. That's resilientrei.studlypartner.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin Brownwoods. I am one half of Price of Avocado Toast. We're a podcast and financial coaching service, and I have recently become a rookie real estate investor. And I would love to tell you today the story of my very first real estate investment property. In the summer of 2021, I was speaking with my financial planner and realized that I was going to be able to have a lot of my student loans forgiven because I was a public educator. As long as I worked for 10 years, I was going to get a substantial amount of my loans forgiven. And at that point, I had saved up enough money to pay them off. But I realized that I wanted to go into wealth building in a different way. So we had talked about it and I approached my wife saying that I wanted to get into real estate investing. She was initially on board with it, but she wanted me to do a little bit more learning. So I started to listen to podcasts, started to explore the bigger pockets forums online, and I started to read a lot of books. I read a book by Chad Carson, read another book by Daniel Green, both in the bigger pockets group. And then the third book I read that really lit a fire under me was House Fire by Alan Corey. It's a really witty book. It's got great information for beginning real estate investor. And it's got a really important message that essentially says, three months from the time you close the book, you should go find your first real estate property. The reason is so often when we're looking at investments and thinking about getting into real estate, we get paralysis by analysis. We run the deals so much that we never actually jump. And it's important to take the initial risk. It's important to take the initial step. So I finished the book and decided, all right, it's time to get to it. So I went on to the Bigger Pockets forums to try and find first which area I wanted to look in. And I found a really great post about this ring city outside of Detroit called Warren, Michigan, that had great numbers. It was hitting the 1% rule. Rents were really affordable. They had great, great, great rates with how many people were wanting to rent in the town. And so I realized it might be a good place for me. Coincidentally, a couple years ago at a high school football clinic that I attended, I listened to a coach from Detroit speak and I really liked him. And I kept coming back to thinking about him as I thought about whether or not I wanted to invest in Warren. So eventually we decided that Warren was going to be the spot. I told my wife, she said, that's great. All you got to do now is go find a realtor that's there in Warren. So I started to search and found a guy that coincidentally had the same name as my father. And I figured this is just too serendipitous. I need to work with this guy. He was wonderful from the jump. We actually never even flew to Warren, Michigan. I personally live in California and was able to be a totally out of state real estate investor. He was doing all of the walkthroughs for us, sending me videos of the properties we were viewing, giving me his thoughts and analysis as an investor himself. And it was really wonderful because I was able to just do everything from my smartphone. So in November of 2021, almost three months after I finished the house fire book, we settled on our first property. We closed the deal for $92,500 and I was ecstatic. 
After closing costs, we'd put about 54,000 into the property. So the numbers were really going to be good for us. It was going to bring us a lot of cash flow monthly, even accounting for maintenance and CapEx and vacancy and a property manager. So once we closed the property, I realized I needed to work with a property manager because I didn't want to self-manage from out of state. I found one that I thought was going to be great for us. And in the course of us talking originally, he pointed out that I needed this thing called a certificate of occupancy. It essentially says that the house has been cleared by the city to be rent ready and safe for a tenant. Well, unfortunately, when I was going through the purchasing process, I didn't realize that was a thing. And the realtor wasn't totally clear on that. So it was going to take a little bit longer, but I was energized and excited to do that. I was really looking forward to it. At this point, we hadn't really put much into it other than the initial down payment. It was essentially, in our mind, a turnkey property. It looked beautiful. Well, as we start these inspections, there's about five of them that the city has to go through between electrical and structural, going through uh, water and plumbing. And at every single inspection, something was coming up. Some of them were bigger, some of them were smaller, but the issue was that this was in the post-COVID era when things were taking a long time. So if something came up during an inspection, it was going to take maybe a week or two to fix it, and then maybe a month or so to get the inspectors back out there. And so because of that, the project just kept dragging along, dragging along, and dragging along. And so after about two months, my wife and I are chatting and thinking, well, you know, maybe by summertime we'll get somebody in there. Maybe by summertime, we're going to get a tenant that's going to you know, love this property and we're going to start making money. I remember I was teaching one day and I got a phone call at lunch. And this was in March of 2022. And the property manager says, hey, Justin, we have a very big problem. When the plumbing inspector just went through and found an issue wrong with the water heater, he started to inspect the pipes by the wall and realized that it is not up to code. So we need to check and see if the rest of the home is not up to code as well. And unfortunately, he was right. We brought a plumber in and everything was done against code. This was essentially a flip gone bad. So in March of 2022, after three months of trying to work through inspections, we realized we were going to be sitting on this thing long term. We got a bill for $9,000 for this plumbing issue. Thank goodness I have a kind wife who realized it was not my fault and that unfortunately we were in a bad situation, but we were both rookie real estate investors. So we didn't know what to do. We didn't think about backing out of the deal at all. We just thought, well, there's an issue. We have to fix it so we can get tenants in there. So at this point, we're now $10,000 in the hole and we haven't had any tenants or even a glimpse of tenants in the future because of all the fixes. Continuing through 2022, we continue to have issues with inspections. We had to spend $1,600 to fix uh, some HVAC issues. We had other repairs totaling about $6,500 between windows and other necessities for the city. And in December of 2022, we were now $17,000 in the hole on this property. We had been paying utilities for that entire time, which were totaling at that point about $1,300. So we're about $18,000, $19,000 into it, but without utilities, about $17,000 in repairs. And I had no clue what to do. I figured that we just needed to keep paying on this thing, keep figuring it out, and it would sort itself out. My wife and I were both starting to get frustrated. 
luckily not with each other, but we were getting frustrated with the city. We were getting frustrated with the property manager because it felt like the communication wasn't really the best. We were getting frustrated with inspectors. We were getting frustrated with the contractors and the handymen that were going in there. And it was really through nobody's fault, but it just felt crushing that we had owned a property for a year. We're paying a mortgage on it and didn't have tenants in yet. It was really frustrating. So in December of 2022, I reached out to a friend, Tom, the frugal gay. And I said, Hey, Tom, I know you're a real estate investor. I have some questions about insurance. I want to ask you as we hopefully get tenants into the new year. Tom and I connected and he said, well, Hey, tell me a little bit about why you still have this property because it's been 14 months and you haven't gotten tenants in there yet. And I explained everything that was going on, all of the issues. And Tom made it clear to me that I might be leaning in too much to the sunk cost idea of this place. I had already spent almost $20,000 repairing it and managing it. And I didn't want to lose that investment. But what Tom helped me realize is that moving forward, I could still make smart choices as a real estate investor to not continue to lose money on this property. So he asked me to come home and talk to my wife about selling the property. If that was something we wanted to do, he would help coach me along and make sure that I understood what I was doing. Came home, approached my wife about it, and she was on board almost immediately. (laughs) She was totally willing to work with a coach who was going to help us figure out how we can do this a little bit better. So in January of 2023, we started to work with a real estate uh, agent in Michigan. And in February, we posted the house live for sale. We got a couple offers within the first week, and eventually we settled at $97,000 for an asking price. However, in the process of the inspections, we realized that there was an issue with one of the pipes in the front yard. The home inspector couldn't get his camera to go through about a foot long section of the pipe either way he entered. So we realized that there was something wrong right there. We got three quotes, one at 4,000, one at 6,000 and one at $8,000. And we realized that the $4,000 quote was going to work for us and what we wanted to do. So our final cost on this home was an additional $4,000 to get it ready for selling At this point, we are now into this thing at about $21,000, $22,000, but we are so glad to have it off our hands. So in March of 2023, we sold this property and let it go. But the first week of April, I get hit with a big bill from our property management group. He had not collected any payment at this time because we never got a tenant in there. Most property management groups only get paid when you have a tenant living in the place. So he was also working for about 14 months and never got paid. And we got hit with a very big bill of a bunch of different repairs that had been done on the house that we had never been billed for. Now, some of them I disputed because I felt that they were probably not super just and they actually violated the contract that we signed with the property management group when we got started. So I want to mention, make sure you read your contracts. All told, we negotiated the bill down to $4,000 to him as well. So our final payment with this house at all was another $4,000 to the property management team, totaling about $25,000 to $26,000 in total expenses on this property. The biggest thing that I learned from this is that if I want to be an ethical landlord, if I want to be a charitable landlord, it starts with myself. 
I got invested in Michigan because I thought that they had great laws for tenants. And they certainly do. They have wonderful rights that protect tenants. But I realized that that is not the way to approach things as an investor. If I want to be an investor, I need to approach it from a safety and security standpoint for myself first, and then I can make decisions to ethically support tenants. When we had closed on this property and finally got it out of our hair, my wife and I started talking again, like, is real estate really what we want to do? Is this truly the route we want to be investing? And we're intrigued by it. We do want to do it. But we've realized that we can't bring our hearts into the equation. It has to be numbers into the equation. And then we can do all the kind things later on down the road. So we're going to be investing in a different state. No gripes with Michigan. I love what they're doing, but we're going to be looking at a different place so that it just works for our family and we don't have another place that kind of gets us stuck for 14 months. All told, that is our first foray into real estate investing. I can't wait to share our next story. I'm hoping that is a home run because this one was absolutely a strikeout. So in the first ad, I mentioned how steadily insurance agents, they know the difference between a VRBO, STR, and Airbnb. And, you know, in retrospect, they mean the exact same thing. I guess not the exact same thing, but it's the exact same thing. So regardless, if you call them up and you say your VRBO uh, is an STR or your STR is actually on Airbnb, your agent, they're going to get it and then just politely ask. (laughs) They're just going to ask, what's going on at the beach house? See if it makes sense to work with Steadily. Use our link, resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. That's resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. Justin, I'm curious about the certificate of occupancy. First off, why did the property not have one? And two, did you get one by the time you sold? Like what, how did that kind of transpire? Great question. It did not have one when we purchased the property. And I think that our realtor probably didn't do a great job of making that clear ahead of time. Now, in fairness, I take the onus that I probably needed to do my research on getting a certificate of occupancy. And I probably should have hammered the issue a little bit more. But our realtor made it seem as though we could still get tenants in there. It just wasn't going to be as lucrative, so to speak. Maybe the rent wasn't going to be as high. By the time that we sold the property, we finally did get the certificate of occupancy. That was something that the new sell, uh, the new buyers, excuse me, were adamant on, and I'm glad they were because I want them to eventually, you know, at least hopefully get an investment for themselves out of it. And so we were able to get the certificate of occupancy, you know, 16 months later when we finally sold the place. So even with that certificate, it still wouldn't have made sense to to rent it out. You just just too many bad memories. Yeah, I think that was the issue with with that certificate. We probably could have rented it out. I actually checked Zillow recently, and it's renting right now for twelve fifty, which is pretty darn good. If that were the numbers that we were collecting, we probably would have been cash flowing about six hundred dollars monthly, which is pretty darn good, I think. But I think that was the issue. My wife and I just had bad memories of it. You know, we had spent 16 months dumping $25,000 into this place and it just didn't have the the great vibes that we were really wanting anymore. And I think we also were worried about future issues. Kind of like, well, Murphy's Law says that if something can go wrong, it will. So is something going to come up down the road as well? For us, it felt better to just get out and hope that next time we are more informed and wiser about wherever we land. Again, looking back now, I probably should have been 
you know, more adamant on figuring out what the certificate of occupancy was, but it was a great learning experience for me. Now I'm going to know exactly what the city laws are wherever I buy my next property. Absolutely. It's, you spend $25,000 essentially on tuition through the school of hard knocks. And I, I, you know, oh yeah, (laughs) there are going to be a number of people who are listening to this show and they're all gung-ho on real estate and their spouse might not be, but they finally been able to convince their spouse. They finally got that property. They're finally making some forward progress, right? But God forbid something like this happens, right? There's a bump in the road. What advice would you have just to make sure that, you know, you're keeping a good relationship with your spouse? I I mean, you and Haley, I mean, it's amazing that you guys didn't have more fights or maybe, maybe you're not talking about them because I just can know with, with my own situation, it would be a really testing moment for, for my, my relationship, my spouse with my wife, right? What advice would you have for somebody who might have a bump in the road like this with their spouse? Well, I've got to give credit to Haley. She's a pretty solid partner and her great grandmother was in real estate. She had owned a couple duplexes in the town that she lived. So Haley saw that growing up that real estate was a way to grow wealth. And so she was a little bit more comfortable with the idea. But the biggest thing that I would say is immediate communication. I would come home and get messages from the property manager throughout the day. And at dinner time that night, I would tell Haley, I have something important we have to talk about. And we would have that conversation at the dinner table that night. I would not let it sit for a day or two or anything. I would approach her with the immediate feelings that I was having because I wanted her not only to be aware of the situation, but I also wanted her to hear where my heart was at immediately with it. And then we could kind of bounce ideas off of one another. There were certainly times that we were both really, really frustrated. Luckily, we just weren't frustrated at each other. We were able to kind of compartmentalize it and say, this is something out of our control that we're frustrated at. And this is something that we're at least going to be a team in this to get through it. The other part of it was understanding just kind of our change in our ideas with growing wealth. Originally, we were gung-ho about being debt-free. That was like our biggest dream in life was to be debt-free. And as we slowly started to get towards debt freedom, we realized, well, our student loans aren't super big and we can make smaller payments and growing wealth might look a little different for us. And we understood that to do that, we might have to take some risks and maybe learn some hard lessons. And as long as we were united in that, the fact that we were going to learn those lessons together, I think there was nothing really that was going to stop us. The other thing, and it's just something that I remember that I, I kind of did fairly often, is I would tell Haley, remember, this is not us making this decision. So it's not us essentially saying you have to get this fixed. It is a city entity telling us that we have to get it fixed because it's maybe not a safe place or it's not good for somebody to live there. And so at least we could leave with our hearts and say, hey, at the end of the day, if it's not safe for somebody, is that really what we want? Is that truly what we want to be doing? And we could always bring it back to that kind of ethics and that moral compass for us. But the biggest key is just communication, immediate communication. I love how you ended your story by talking about ethics and, you know, you wanted to keep the power to, to yourself, right? You didn't want to have somebody else to tell you to be ethical and here's what ethical means, you know, by this legal doctrine. What does being an ethical landlord mean to you? And, you know, how do you plan on going about that? So I grew up 
with an, an unfortunate event with a slumlord, quote unquote, our house had been red tagged by FEMA because of mold that was growing in the homes. Very, very dangerous. And so I understood what inappropriate or unethical landlord looked like. And so when Haley and I got into investing, our ideas of ethics were we're going to charge fair rent. We're not going to spike rent. We also want to make sure that when there's an issue, it's confronted and tackled immediately. And we also wanted to find a place that supported tenants' rights with if there was a gripe, if there was a situation, they had options for handling that. And what I've realized is that that's a great thing to do, but sometimes in those places, the red tape makes it to where you can't even get to that point such as this place, right? 16 months of trying to get through these inspections over little things and the city's hanging us up because they're taking so long to get there versus figuring out what the problems are all at once, fixing them in a one month span or whatever it may be, and then getting an investor, an inspector out there and making it ready to go. The city really dragged their feet. And I think that when we have or when we're investing in places like that, it just hangs things up. So our idea of ethics then are going to be, let's find a place that works for us, make sure it's safe. And then we can do the ethical stuff down the road of creating a really great lease that says, hey, this is exactly what we're going to do. And this is the type of home that we're going to provide for you. And we're so excited to have you as tenants. And being available and open, making sure that it's safe, making sure that it is somewhere that people can love and feel like it is a home. So that's kind of where our mindset is with ethics is really just seeing those landlords that don't take care of a place that are lackadaisical with the repairs, maybe making shoddy repairs or not taking care of it appropriately immediately. That's something we never want to do. But it's important that the place you invest is not hanging you up to even get to that point because you have to get to that point before you can do those other things. Yeah, you want to be a good landlord and you want to be able to have numerous properties. You want to take numerous properties away from some lords, bad operators, put them back on the market in an ethical way and and make sure that people have a safe place to live. Being a landlord is a responsibility. People are living in these homes. They are raising their children there. They need to be safe. And you know firsthand, right, how a home could quickly become dangerous to its occupants. Um, Justin, I've got one question before I go into like the last two questions I always ask my guests. And that question is, how are you moving forward as being a landlord, right? I'm assuming that right now you don't have any rental properties, but it sounds like you're making strides to get back in the game. Is that right to say? Yeah, that's totally right. I started working with Tom as a coach and eventually he started teaching me things that I didn't know my first time around. Ways that I could look at Zillow to understand the history of a property so that I don't get into another flip situation. If I would have looked at the Zillow history of sale on that first property, I would have seen, wait a minute, they bought this property just a couple months ago and did some type of repairs that got to this number. How did they come up with that? Instead, I'm now able to look at these deals and analyze them a little bit better. And so I'm really excited to continue our investing journey. We're currently looking in Toledo, Ohio for a property that works for the numbers. And the other thing that I'm doing is I'm taking my time. I'm not rushing into it. I'm not just jumping. Now that I've tried it and figured it out, I took the the lumps. I got my you know bachelor's degree from the School of Hard Knocks. And what I can do now is take my time finding the property that truly works for us and then getting into that spot. 
we don't need to jump into anything. We've got the down payment whenever it's time. We might be able to buy something in cash whenever it's time, but I don't need to rush that investment because this next one does have to be a home run if we want to stay real estate investors. And so that's actually something I would encourage anybody who's considering real estate investing. One of the great pieces of advice Tom gave me was wait until you've done two deals to decide whether or not it's for you. Because the first one might be uncomfortable or the first one might go really, really well. And then you find the next deal and it could totally change how you're feeling about things. But give yourself a sample size that is truly reflective of what real estate investing might look like, might be for you in this area or that area, wherever you're at. So I would tell anybody that's interested in it, to jump back in the saddle. I'm encouraged to jump back in the saddle. I don't feel discouraged by what happened. Am I bummed? Sure. But it makes for great content with our podcast and it is a learning experience. Like I'm a lifelong learner. I want to learn this stuff and there's no better teacher than you know, a a failure. What's the the famous phrase, right? There's no such thing as failure, only learning or only a lesson. And I, I really take that to heart from this experience. So I'm excited moving forward. And I hope anybody that's listening that may have had a similar situation is feeling encouraged as well. I've never heard about that, like the sample size. And that, I feel like that's really true. A lot of people, their first deal goes great. And then the second one has a whole bunch of issues or that first deal is just a total nightmare, like, you know, firsthand, and it just stops you from, mm-hmm. from moving forward. So Justin, the last two questions I ask every guest, the first question is, has real estate been a net positive or a net negative on your life financially? From a financial standpoint, I would say it's been a net negative, but I'm such an optimist that my heart still wants to tell me it's positive because I've learned so much and I know that down the road, financially, it's going to pay off. I love it. You, you still haven't finished out that sample size, so so time will tell. Exactly. The last question I have is, what would you tell somebody who heard your story about this just deal that completely went off the rails, your first deal, right? You lost about $25,000. And that person is thinking about becoming a landlord. What would you tell that person? I would tell them that my experience does not have to be your experience. And to find people around you that have done this and are successful and to find ways that you can maybe serve them so that they'll help serve you. When you are kind to others and when you network in an honest and and truthful, genuine way, I think people resonate with that and feel it and want to see you be successful. I've always said that social media is the greatest thing in the world because it's helped me find people that only want to see my family winning and they only want to see us doing well. So don't think that my experience has to be your experience. Yours can be just as fruitful as you want it to be. and if you find the people in in your corner that have done this before, there's no doubt that it will be fruitful. It's going to be successful because you're going to have tried and true investors on your side who will talk to you about every single step and help you understand what you're getting yourself into. So don't don't be fearful. Like push towards whatever you want to do, take risks and be excited about it. It it is fun. At the end of the day, it is fun to consider what that wealth might look like if you get into real estate investing. So that's what I would say is don't let my story be your story. Write your own story and get people on your side who will help you write that story to the narrative that you want. Absolutely. And I mean, you really linked up with Tom, the frugal gay 11. And Tom is, I have so much respect for that guy. And I feel like he's convincing half of Twitter to invest in Toledo. So maybe he might single-handedly just 
turn that turn that city right around. Um, Justin, thank you so much. You know, you mentioned right? at the beginning how you are a co-host of the Price of Avocado Toast. If people like the cut of your jib, want to hear more about you and and what you're doing, where can people go to learn more? Yeah, you can find our podcast, Price of Avocado Toast, wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can also find us on social media, Instagram, Price of Avocado Toast, Twitter, Price Avocado. We would love to connect with anybody. We just want to see other folks winning on the journey as well. And we are so, so glad to be in the personal finance community with others. Awesome. I'll ensure to have all those links in the show notes. Justin, thank you again for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. You know, real estate is a pretty forgiving asset class. I mean, sure, Justin got himself into a pretty big mess, but it sounded like if you really wanted to, he probably could have held on to that property. You know, it cash flowed a little bit. You would have had some loan pay down, but, you know, it just didn't sound like the juice was worth the squeeze. Okay, so shifting gears, you're probably curious how Winston Churchill was able to bounce back from the disaster at Gallipoli. Well, Churchill, he didn't sulk for very long. There was a war that needed winning, so he left for the Western Front where he served as an officer, until 1917 when he was pulled back into politics as the Minister of Munitions, where he was responsible for arming the British Army, which ultimately led to the Allied victory in 1918. Churchill continued jumping position to position, Minister of Munitions to Secretary for State and War, to British Secretary of State for War, to Chancellor of the Exchequer, to First Lord of the Admiralty again, to finally Prime Minister, the highest position in British politics. Winston Churchill, he lived one hell of a life and is a great example that a catastrophic mistake does not always mean the end, which is possibly why he wrote that success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. Churchill lived to see his 90th birthday and has gone down as the quintessential British politician. Do you have a crazy story about being a landlord? Pitch it to us. Use a link in our bio and record a 60-second pitch right off your phone. No fancy camera or microphone needed. Or you could shoot us a DM on Twitter at ResilientREI. This episode was written and produced by me, Dan from Resilient REI. Sound design coming from MZ Studios out of hotter than hell, Dallas, Texas. Hey guys, my name is Brian. I'm landlord from Maryland, but I do invest anywhere you can make money. <laughs> Please remember that being a landlord is not passive. You may be able to scale to the point where you hire someone, but nonetheless, you'll still have to be involved in some way. And don't let these do- stories dissuade you. Every challenge has a solution and you'll figure it out. Just keep making things happen. Good luck. Good luck.